It is wonderful to be here to worship with you. Um, this is the first face-to-face worship that Marilyn and I have enjoyed for months. You know, we're, you know, our church, Seven Rivers, said if you're over 65, don't come. So we no, <laughs> no, seriously. Um, we're, we're getting back in. We're getting back in. It's doing well. The Lord's blessing the church. But it is just a pleasure to uh, hear the congregation sing and to participate in live worship again. Um, and, uh, and it was good for those people who are online, like we are now, uh, to participate in your worship. Uh, just a quick note about Equipping Leaders International. It's doing well. Uh, we thank you so much for your support. It's been tremendous, but the organization, God is blessing. It's growing. We've got, I lost track of how many people we've got. I think we've got 35 or 36 full-time staff members now in 27 or 30 countries. But the COVID hasn't stopped anything. We are having continual training. I, I think just in the last three months, I think we've had over 50 Zoom training sessions impacting thousands of people all over the place. And the Lord's just using the electronics to make the ministry even bigger. So thank you for your prayers and your support of, the, of that ministry. We're going to do something today that is uh, not particularly complicated. You can see from the bulletins that uh, you probably know exactly where I'm going. And it's not a complicated message. But uh, oftentimes it's just good to hear uh, something from a different perspective. And I'm praying that the Lord would grab my heart and grab your heart uh, from his word this day. Uh, the text that we're going to be looking at is taken from 1 Timothy. Um, chapter 2, very familiar. The Apostle Paul, uh, after proclaiming the gospel in the chapter 1, he then turns to this young pastor and he tells them this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women... The rest of the story. Lord, uh, you have given us your word, the ancient words uh, that uh, we want to walk in. We want to walk in those ancient paths. So we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, you would refresh us in this simple truth and engage us uh, for the advance of the gospel in Christ's name. Um, 
This has really been on my heart for a long time because uh, you notice this, this talks about living a life that's peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified in every way. I don't know about you, but I don't know that that would describe the way life has been lately. You know, COVID-19 has disrupted uh, peaceful, quiet lives. The peace is replaced with anxiety about getting the illness, dying, or having long-term effects that they're continuing to discover. The peace is replaced with frustration and discontent caused by social distancing. I miss coming in and getting hugged, right? And I'm frustrated, you know? Uh, So's Roland, by the way. I can see him nodding his head. Uh, Many are suffering the consequences of the economic downturn. They've lost their jobs. Or, they've, uh, or, or, they, or they're not working as much. And so what, what do you have? You've got fear. What am I going to do about paying the bills? Anxiety. Am I going to ever get back to work? Um, depression. Anger. Parents and teachers and children' lives have been disrupted. How many, how many of you have, learned, have had to learn how to do homeschool? And Yeah, there you go. <laughs> It's not easy, is it? It's, sometimes it's not peaceful. Uh, or, you know, you go to school, you know, our grandkids went to school and then and they started and then let me, and the school was shut down again two weeks because COVID showed up in the classrooms. You know, so it, it just, it goes on. COVID just messed us up, you know, and we know statistically the drug abuse is up, uh, suicide, abuse, rape, all sorts of problems are, are caused by COVID. You listen to the news and you hear international tensions. Russia's doing this. China's doing this. You know, they're floating the ships in the China Sea and we're trying to protect them. And they're threatening this, threatening that. So you got that going on. Social unrest. As you well know, we've, you watch it on the news all the time about all the unrest in various places around the country. Statistically, 2,000 cities in the United States have seen social, a peaceful protest slash riots. Uh, 40% of all of the counties in the U.S., over 20 million people, have been involved in um, those problems. Is it Blue Lives Matter? Is it Black Lives Matter? Is it All Lives Matter? Is it Antifa? What's going on? Right? So we're all in sort, sort of tensions. The FBI has reported that gun sales are way up, in some counties, up as much as 93%, 33% nationwide. You can't get ammunition. Why is that? Well, people are afraid. Lives have been disrupted. Political problems. Is it Trump? Is it Biden? Is it socialism? Is it capitalism? Right? Is it the Democrat? Is it the Republican? Is it no vote? Things are just in turmoil. And then there's, the, then there's the opportunity for the attacks upon Christians. Uh, this sociologist uh, writes this. According to a recent survey, about half of all Americans believe that evangelicals face discrimination. About 32% of all Americans like, listen, about 32% of all Americans like conservative Christians significantly less than other social groups. And the place where that is most prominent is among white, male, wealthy, highly educated, politically progressive men. They're the, they're the people that a lot of times have had the most power in society. 
to disrupt if they don't like your Christian faith. We're not living that peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified lives that this passage talk about it. So what are you going to do about it? I don't know about you, but I've kind of pondered, how in the world are you going to turn this ship around? There's so many things going on worldwide, so many complications. How do you turn that around? That's the question. Well, there's people who have offered some solutions. Here's what we could do to solve some of them. We could defund or we could uh, disarm or we could, like Disney, reimagine police departments, right? As if you take the sword away from the government that God has given to us to maintain the peace is going to solve the problem. Doesn't make sense. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just pay reparations. Let's go print 12 trillion more dollars and give 800,000 to every qualifying descendant of a slave. As if more money is going to solve the problem. Well, let's replace capitalism with socialism. As if taking away private property rights that God grants is going to solve the problem. Let's stop thinking of China as an enemy. Let's think him of him as a competitor. So if you just change the name, is that really going to stop competition? It seems to me... Uh, well, now let's, we could do this. We could make sure that no Christian serves on the Supreme Court and any of the other places in the justice system. As if taking away Christian uh, ethics is going to make our justice system work better. The solutions that are out there are not solutions. And you know what? It turns out that God has given us a solution. He's given us something to do. And I want to challenge myself to step up to the plate a little bit more often using God's uh, uh, solution to the problem. So let's look at that. What are we supposed to do? God says, pray in order that you might live this kind of life. Pray. He says in Psalm 50, Uh, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and you'll glorify me. In the words of the Shorter Catechism, prayer is this. We are to offer up our desires unto God for the things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercy. We are to offer up Our desire to live in peace and godliness and quiet with dignity. Pray. So we're going to talk about your prayer life, my prayer life today. One of the things that occurred to me at 5 o'clock this morning, that's why I was up at 5, baby. (laughs) It did occur to me. Here's another way to think of prayer. Think of prayer of participating in bringing about the solutions. Let us not think of ourselves as victims in this world, but let us think of ourselves as participants in bringing about the solution. We are change agents. Think about that. We are 
change agents. God has ordained prayer to be the means by which a culture is changed. Familiar passage that we all uh, probably can quote, or get close to quoting it anyway, is Second Chronicles 7.14. It's in the days of Solomon, and, um, and you know, there's this prospect that things will be bad. You know, disobedience brings uh, terrible stuff on the land. The culture collapses. The agriculture collapses from disobedience. God says this to Solomon, though. If my people, right, will humble themselves and pray, I will heal the land. We are change agents if we pray. One of the things that really is beginning to settle in on my uh, thinking is, take, for instance, uh, Jesus says this, Ask, and I will do. Ask, and I will do. Well, what's the doing? The doing is changing things. We change the future by praying about it. We're change agents. We're not victims. We're the ones that's going to change the culture through prayer. So let's think about that. Let's pray. So let's ask this question. Who is to pray? Who's, who's to be the change agent? Who's to take up the cause to change the culture? Well, he says, all believers, all men. Um, this is not a complicated point, right? All. How many people in this room are all? Raise your hand if you're all. Some of you are not all. All. All men, he says. And you know what's interesting? He, he, Paul makes his point just this, this way. In the other verse, you notice what, what he did later on in this verse? That I read? Here he says all men. Just uh, By that he means all mankind. Men and women, boys and girls, right? But, but in... Later, he says, all males. He actually does use the word for male. And he calls the males to pray. Now, here's something I've done all over the world. Well, all over the world. I've been to like, I counted the other day, I've been at least to eight countries. And I've taught marriage, and I've taught this passage. And, and I always ask this question, who prays more, men or women? What do you think? Women. Yeah. Because they're more relational. Right? And prayer is about relation. And men are skeptical. Men are, I can do this. I don't need your help. So Paul says, in Paul's day, just like in our day, we need to jack up the men. Men, you're a change agent. Get busy helping us change the culture. Women, keep doing it. All right? But all are called to be participants, to be change agents, male and female. What's interesting in this passage, just to point out a little uh, exegesis here, Paul says to, he wants the men to pray, and then he says likewise. And then he starts talking about ladies' hair and their dresses. A lot of people think that, that Paul changes the subject, and, it, and he's really concentrating on what a woman wears and looks like. He's not. The comparison is about prayer. I want all men to pray, likewise, women. The comparison is about women. Now, we'll talk about those different things in a minute, but right now, all people are change agents, and God says, I want you all to pray if we're going to change this culture. For whom are we to pray? Well, it's for all persons. On, on behalf of all men, I want pray for everybody. 
Now, our, our mode, our typical default mode in prayer, and you all know this well, is that we pray for our own group, our own family, our own friends, our own church, our own social and economic group, uh, our own political preferences. Paul says, get a bigger vision. Get a bigger vision. Pray for all. Raise your eyes up. See the world Jesus sees. I came to seek and to save that which is lost out of all of them, right? Pray for all, all men, the rich, the poor, the strong, the weak. Even, Jesus says, pray for your enemies and those that despitefully use you. And we could all probably list the name of five of them right now. Pray for them. When was the last time you prayed for your enemy? All right? Pray for all people. Paul points out his concern. God our Savior desires, in this text, God our Savior desires who to be saved? What what do we read? All. Well, how are they going to get saved? Well, they're not going to get saved unless somebody gets sent. How are they going to get sent? Pray that the Lord would raise up those and send them out to the harvest. Pray for all. So we're challenged, I'm challenged to broaden my awareness and concern. Um, Who also includes kings and those in high positions or those in authority? Romans 13, of course, as you all know, says that the government is God's uh, servant for good. Uh, And uh, John Calvin puts it this way. Pray for kings. He, that is Paul, expressly mentions kings and other magistrates because more than all others... They might be hated by Christians. All the magistrates who existed at the time of Paul were so sworn enemies of Christ. And therefore, this thought might have occurred to them that we ought not to pray for them. And what Paul says is, he's trying to tell this church, no, pray for them. They're God's servants. And if God loved to govern the world by a government of kings and people, he gives gives authority to them. Well, then we should love what God loves. We should love the methodology that God uses to restrain evil. The method that God uses to restrain evil are people in authority. So we should love that. We should throw our lot in with the way God is going to do things in this world. So pray for authorities, all those in high places. You might recall that when uh, Israel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and, and uh, he, he told Jeremiah, I want you to write a letter to the people who are in exile. And, and the essence of that letter is this. Here's what I want you to do. And God dictated the letter. He, Jeremiah didn't make it up. God said, write this down. <laughs> so he wrote down and he says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go there and live. Plant gardens, build houses, have kids. Right? I want you to do that. <laughs> and live. And pray for the city. Pray for the... Pray for the Babylonians and the Babylonian rulers. Pray for the city because in the welfare of the city is your welfare. That's where you're going to experience the peace, the quiet, the godliness. In the city, in the culture, where you're living. Pray for those authorities. And it is interesting that Nebuchadnezzar is recorded as one of the kings who bowed the knee. And said, he is the most high God. He will do whatever it is he wants to do. Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself twice in in the book of Daniel. And why do you think that might have happened? 
Might it have been that God's people actually prayed for the welfare of the city and for those in authority? So we need to expand our thinking. Uh, let me share with you something I'm, I'm doing to expand my thinking. And I'm going to leave something with you. I have made for myself, and I'm going to ask my wife to hold me accountable to this. She doesn't know I did this, yes. But I went yesterday and I got a picture of the first family, the vice president's family, Marco Rubio, Rick, uh, Rick Scott, Ross Spano, who's our uh, representative, uh, Kelly Stargell. Uh, she's our, our um, Florida representative, uh, uh, our governor, right? The Supreme Court, uh, the Florida Supreme Court, and, and the president's cabinet. I'm going to put this with my prayer stuff to remind me to do exactly what Paul is telling me to do. To look at their faces, to think of their needs, and to pray for them. Here's yours for Melbourne. The local ones, anyway. Um, use it to pray. Here's a sample prayer that comes from uh, about the year, somewhere around the year 200, uh, maybe a little, a little bit later. Uh, Tertullian, he was um, the father of Latin Christianity, it said. Well, he wrote this big book called The Apology. And in it, here's a quotation. We pray for all the emperors that God may grant them long life, a secure, secure government, prosperous family, vigorous troops, faithful senate, an obedient people, that the whole world may be in peace, and that God may grant both to Caesar and to every man the accomplishment of their just desires. There's a sample prayer for those in authority from this ancient. So all of us are to pray, and we're to pray for all people, and particularly kings and those in authority. Now let's think about how we are to pray. How are we to participate? How are we to be, to be change agents? Well, for many of us, our tendency is to pray as a last resort. If all else fails, what? Pray, right? After we've done everything that we could and we can't, therefore, we've come to the end of our senses. And actually, by God's grace, we've come to our senses, right? Uh, pray. Paul says, first of all, pray. It's fascinating the way the book of Timothy opens. Chapter 1, Paul preaches the gospel. He opens up by saying, look, you got bad teachers Tell them to sit down and shut up in about one paragraph. And I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he says, here's the true gospel. And he says, Christ died. Christ came into the world for die, to die for sinners for whom I am the worst. And then he says, he did that uh, and he saved me and he uses me as an example. He says, the gospel's so right on that if he can save me, he can save anybody. I was a chief persecutor, right? <laughs> And he preaches the gospel, and then he says the immediately next thing he says after he preaches the right gospel, and he charges Timothy to preach the gospel. Here's what he says. Therefore, therefore is therefore, look, it looks backwards, right? Because of the gospel, pray for all men that we might live in peace. So how do we pray? We pray with priority. That's the first thing. We pray priority. Uh, Calvin, in his Institutes, when you get to the last chapter of his Institutes and he's talking about prayer, he opens it up with this. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. How do you know you're a believer? You pray. 
right? You're a son, you go to dad. Say, I got a problem. You pray. Uh, Luther says prayer is the first breath of a believer. You know, you come out of the womb, what's the very first thing that the baby does? (laughs) Right? And cries out. (laughs) Right? Prayer is so central to the life of somebody who really is a believer. Paul says pray without ceasing. It's a lifestyle. Pray with priority. Pray public and private. The, the words that Paul uses here, one of them is, a, they're often used in the Greek language, they're often used uh, for public worship and liturgy. Uh, but um, uh, they have different little shades of meaning. He, Calvin says he piles these words up that all are forms of prayer. He piles us all up to, to knock us out of our sluggishness because we're so sluggish to pray. And so he says, um, uh, so here's the thing. It's not just public worship. Public worship teaches you what to do in your private life, right? The way you pray in public is, it teaches you to pray in private. And, and then the reverse of that, how you learn in your private quiet times of prayer comes back to your public as you worship. So you can't just limit it to, to the liturgy and the formal prayer in a worship service. That's my point. Uh, Jesus actually says, when you pray, pray where? Go into your room and close your door and pray to your father who is in secret, who will give you reward in secret. So it's not just about public liturgy. It's, it's public and private prayer. So we pray publicly and privately for leaders. Uh, one of the churches that I recently uh, read a bulletin about, they, their litur- they, actually their liturgy that I think they do every week with respect to prayer actually has praying for kings and all those in authority. They don't forget it. It's there. They do it. And by virtue of that, they also teach their people to do it. They build it into their liturgy. Well, how do we pray? Well, publicly and privately with great priority. How do we participate in being a change agent by doing that? We pray passionately. We pray fervently. We pray like it actually does matter to us. Those words that are here, one of the words is prayer. In English, it's, it's used prayer. That's a general prayer. And that's a general, conce- that's a general concept for prayer. The next word, supplications. It's the specific thing. It's not just, oh, Lord, do something big. It's, oh, Lord, change this political person's heart. It's put justice on our Supreme Court. It's specific. And what's interesting, it's a word that's also sometimes with, with deep passion, the person. For instance, that same word is the word that the, the leper prayed, the leper <clears throat> supplicant. The, the leper said, heal me. He called out to the Lord. He asked the Lord. In English, it's he asked the Lord or he called out to the Lord. But it, it's that word. Now, do you think a leper really meant it when he said, heal me? It's the same word the demoniac used when he says, oh, Lord, do not. Torture me, right? Do not, right? Do you think he, he meant it? It's the same word that the father used when he, when he asked Jesus uh, to heal his son. The challenge to me is, is to not just 
say the words, but to investigate my heart and find out how serious I am about it. If it doesn't care, really, if I don't really care about it, why should God answer my prayer? doesn't matter to me whether he, whether he does it or not. So it, the challenge goes, the challenge is to, to investigate how serious we are about our prayers. I mean, that's the way it hit, 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 hits me. Um, the other word is intercessions. Well, that's pretty plain. That's interceding for somebody else. Uh, our high priest, you know, the scripture says, our high priest Jesus is able to save all those who draw near to God through Jesus because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. So he's there before the Father pleading on our behalf. So we intercede for somebody else. We feel their pain and we ask the Father to do something about it. We see the problem and we ask on their behalf, that the Father would provide relief. And the other one is thanksgiving, and that's not too complicated to understand. It's a little hard to feel sometimes, but it's easy. Actually, the word behind it means well-graced. That's a good way to try to figure out whether to be thankful. You look at a situation and find out whether that situation sees any of God's well-grace. He causes the rain and the sun to shine into rain on the evil and the good. That's well-graced, right? He's well-graced the evil, right? Thank you, Lord, for giving them a lifespan in which you may save them. God's patience leads to repentance and faith. So search our hearts to find out if what the thanksgiving component of it would be. How are we to pray? Here's another thing. Lifting up holy hands. That's, that is a posture, but that posture means something. That means my hands are... My hands are clean. That means my life is clean. That means I have a pure heart. Love comes from a pure heart, a sound conscience, good faith. That's what he said. That's what Paul says, chapter one. It means I'm living a life of repentance and faith. Now, Paul picks out two sins that are common for me. I do the same thing overseas. I ask this: Um, Who are more likely to be punching each other and arguing and fighting? In a physical sense. Men or women? Men, yeah. So Paul picks out two, two sins representative of the fact that men are sinners. And he says, look, when you pray, uh, don't think that God is going to answer you if you're going to continue to, to live a lifestyle of rebellion. The scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah says, you you praise him with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Don't think that he's going to hear your prayers. So it's a challenge to look at our lives, to live a life of repentance and faith. And and we pray uh, because we're on the same page with the Father. What are common sins for women? More concerned about external appearance than internal appearance, right? So he picks out two, two common sins. And he says, likewise, women, when you pray, don't think that you can live a life of rebellion and that God's going to hear your prayers. Now, there are none righteous, no, not one. And our righteousness is in Christ. So he's not saying you have to be perfect. But he is saying that live a life of repentance and faith. Confession. God forgives sin. So deal with that. 
clean up your life, come before the Father with holy hands. Pray that way. Um, you tracking with me? Uh, let's look at our lives. I mean, because we're the change agent. One of the one of the illustrations to me that, that over in the car. Um, uh, I won't go there. I'll just leave it. There. Okay. All right. Why pray? Well, that we uh, may live that uh, peaceful and quiet life. Uh, consider this. Consider how important it is for the church to pray in a, for a culture to have peace and quiet. If the church is not praying for peace and culture and godliness in the land, it ain't going to happen. Pardon my lack of grammar, but but that's the lesson, isn't it? We are the ones that bring the salt. We are the ones that bring the light. We are the ones that bring the good things. When the church is not isolated and just trying to be a fortress, but when the church is reaching out in prayer, cultures change. It's the way it's always been. The way it's always been. That's what God uses. God uses the prayers of his people to change cultures. He says it's good. It's pleasing to the Lord. John Piper uses this illustration on this page. He starts it off with us. If you like coffee, if you like coffee, this illustration will work. If you don't like coffee, fill in something that you really love the smell of. You got something you really like the smell of? Roses? Well, you know, you buy roses today, they don't even smell. I haven't figured that out. But, but um, a smell. Piper goes back and he says, you know, prayers are, the priests put incense on the sacrifice to make this sweet aroma and then you move forward to the revelation, and the incense are the prayers of the saints, and they're in golden bowls, and they're before the Lord. It's just get this idea. If you love the smell of coffee, you know, the Father loves the smell of prayers. It's good because it pleases the Lord. So let's make him happy. Let's make him enjoy. So that they come to the knowledge of the truth, and just... We're going to have the truth set before us. They come to the knowledge. Here's the truth. There's one, one God. There's one Lord. There's one mediator. There's one solution. And that's to bow the knee to Jesus. That's the solution. So we pray to that end, that people would understand the truth. Get it. And they would get the truth of the gospel. And they would come to the truth, Jesus Christ, who is the truth. May God give us grace. And let, and let me conclude it this way. Let me ask you, this is going to be unusual, but I'm going to ask you to, let's take a minute or two, and let's just do exactly what this verse says. All right? I'll say a word, and then I'll be quiet, and let you think about something. And uh, we'll pray. And if some of you want to pray out loud, Pray out loud. If some of you just want to be quiet, pray. It says, pray for all men and especially for government. So here's what I want you to do. Pick one person. 
in the general sense, one person that you would like to, the gospel to come to. And then pick something in the government, something in people in authority. And it doesn't have to be, yeah, I mean, it can be a local person, you know. Uh, it can be a priest chief. But pick a government, all right? So let's just finish this off. Here's the conclusion. We're going to pray. All right? Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Uh, Father, um, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And now we pray that you would work among us to grant us the grace to do exactly what you've exhorted us to do. So hear the prayers of your people, Lord. First, in the general sense, for all people. Now, Lord, we uh, turn our minds to those in authority. There's many people in this room who thought of somebody in authority that needs your work of grace in their life. So hear our prayers, Lord, about that person or group. Make our prayer, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.